Imagine, it's the year 1980 and you're wandering through a bookstore. You come across a book called Michelle Remembers. Between covers lies the tale of a therapist, Lawrence Pazder, and his patient, Michelle Smith, using recovered memory therapy to recover memories of Michelle's childhood trauma, being subject to satanic ritual abuse by the Church of Satan. Taken aback by the story, you check the description to find out that it claims to be a non-fiction story. Does this mean that there are satanic cults running around abusing children left and right? My name is Abby, and this is Misinformation Through the Eyes of the Past. The book Michelle Remembers is what I'd like to think of as sort of the patient zero of the moral panic and era of misinformation that we'll be covering in these episodes, The Satanic Panic. novel released in 1980 brought the fear of satanic ritual abuse into mainstream eye. This, along with the rise of occult themes and imagery in pop culture and highly sensationalized crimes, sent this panic into full gear with enough fuel to keep it alive up until the late 90s. Though, some would argue that this panic never really ended. And by the way, Michelle remembers, though it received vast media coverage, was later completely debunked. Now, a warning for this episode, there will be mention of child sexual abuse, suicide, and murder. In 1969, the Manson family's string of killings put organized and somewhat ritualistic murders on people's radar. That same year, Anton LaVey published his Satanic Bible, which is a unique situation in and of itself, but that's a conversation for another time. However, to the average American in the late 60s, the misleading name was all they needed to know for them to to file it under scary, goth, occult, and even threatening. Then, 1973 rolled around and we got The Exorcist, one of my personal favorite films, which further thrusted the idea of demons and Satan into pop culture while also solidifying the idea of evil in a biblical sense in the American psyche. This, too, claimed to be based on a true story. The Jonestown Massacre followed this up later in 1978. Though this didn't really have anything to do with the occult, a mass suicide really strikes a nerve with the public. Fun fact, it wasn't Kool-Aid, it was actually an off-brand called Flavor-Aid. It's also important to note the prominence of serial killers in the 70s. It was kind of a serial killer golden age, even though that's pretty morbid. You've got Ted Bundy, The Hillside Strangler, John Wayne Gacy, and David Berkowitz, also known as Son of Sam. Uh, The Zodiac Killer and the Alphabet Killer, however, really fit into the narrative that the evangelical Christians, also a rising population at this time, were pushing, both killing in ritualistic patterns. So, knowing all this, imagine how you'd react if your child came up to you and claimed to be experiencing satanic ritual abuse. Primed for this situation, many otherwise sensible Americans took even the most outrageous of claims of satanic ritual abuse seriously. This is exactly what happened at McMartin Preschool in Manhattan Beach, California. In 1983, parent Judy Johnson reported to police that her son had been sodomized by Ray Bucky, a teacher at McMartin Preschool. Her son had, of course, been a student at McMartin Preschool. Johnson also went on to make other claims, such as school teachers and administrators having sexual encounters with animals, teachers and administrators flying, you heard me, flying, and other claims of abuse. In response to these claims, Ray Bucky was questioned but not arrested due to lack of evidence, obviously, but 
Here's where the police made a big mistake. They sent out letters to around 200 of McMartin Preschool students' parents, saying that their children may have suffered sexual abuse as well as suggesting to parents that they question their children about any possible abuse. This was quite obviously not the correct decision to make. This decision both messed with the, their investigation, putting the ideas of possible satanic ritual abuse into parents' heads. Parents, who were then going to interrogate the young, their young children. Children who, mind you, were surely just looking to please their parents and tell them what they wanted to hear. This also destroyed any hope they had of keeping the situation calm and contained. By the spring of 1984, around 360 children were questioned by Children's Institute International, a Los Angeles-based abuse therapy clinic, and claimed to have been abused by many different teachers and administrators at the preschool, including Ray Bucky and his mother, Peggy McMartin. The Children's Institute International used highly suggestive techniques when questioning the children and invited them to speculate about events. Again, remember, these are young children who are just looking to please the authority figure in front of them. Of course, they're going to agree with whatever the interviewer said, suggested, or even implied. These techniques ultimately led to false accusations. Here is some of the information that investigators claimed to get from questioning these children. They saw witches fly, they traveled in hot air balloons, and they were taken through tunnels that lay beneath the school itself. When shown a lineup of photos by the McMartin's lawyer, one child identified actor Chuck Norris as one of their abusers. Later, children even claimed that they were flushed down toilets. Though it's hard to believe, these claims were all taken very seriously. Investigators even performed several excavations trying to find any evidence of tunnels or secret underground rooms. They were, of course, unsuccessful. On March 22, 1984, Virginia McMartin... Peggy McMartin Bucky, Ray Bucky, Ray's sister Peggy Ann Bucky, and teachers Mary Ann Jackson, Betty Rader, and Babette Spittler were charged with 115 counts of child abuse, later expanded to 321 counts of child abuse involving 48 children. There were 20 months preliminary hearings before the trials actually began. The authors of the book I mentioned before, Michelle Remembers, even met with the parents and children involved in the case. There ended up being two separate trials, both ending in acquittals for all those charged. This case ended up lasting seven years, the longest and most expensive criminal case in U.S. history. For context, the idea of sexual abuse of children was something relatively new at the time, first really being talked about in the 70s. In the early 80s, there was a big push to, and I quote, believe the children. So, given that context, is the American public's reaction to this trial a bit more reasonable? Well, maybe. See, being primed to believe information is an important part of furthering the spread of misinformation. All these factors that I listed at the beginning of the episode also helped in spreading paranoia throughout the country. Now, would you believe me if I told you that this same trial happened countless of times all over the country? Well, of course they were shorter and less costly, but it was the same idea. There were similar and equally outrageous claims of satanic ritual abuse in schools, preschools, and daycare centers all over the country. Do you think that there were really incidents of satanic ritual abuse in all of these places? Well, I'd hope not. <laughs> the type of misinformation in this specific situation started from a place of paranoia. It was somewhat benign, a mother overreacting a bit to a situation with her child, but it spiraled out of control into something that had massive consequences for everyone involved. 
Knowing the origins of media, specifically being able to identify the motivations behind the spreading of any and all media, misinformation or not, is very important to consider when evaluating its factuality. Like I said, this is more of a benign type of misinformation, originating from a place of what is essentially ignorance and fear, but there are also prominent examples from the satanic panic of misinformation spread from a more sinister, propagandistic place. A place that ultimately got people who are, in my opinion, the wrong people put in jail. To hear about this, continue listening to episode 3.